0: Hello, I'm Peter Laws, and this is the 10th episode of the Creepy Cove Community Church podcast, which is the last episode of the first season. But don't worry, we'll be back on December the 12th for the Creepy Cove Christmas carol service. Yeah. And then it's just a short wait until season two in January. In the meantime, if you enjoyed the songs of Creepy Cove season one, well, guess what? You'll soon be able to buy the album, The Horror Hymns of Creepy Cove Volume 1. Just visit creepycove.com for details. Some members of the Patreon program will get that for free. Can I just take the opportunity to thank everyone who has listened to Creepy Cove, especially those who have joined the Patreon? Because I started this podcast, being honest, uh, during lockdown when a bunch of my author events were cancelled. I also had to accept that I'm just not able to make a full living from writing books alone. And so having people join the Patreon makes a big difference and lets me actually do the weird stuff that I do. By the way, the weekly Peter Laws podcast for patrons will continue between seasons, so I can see you guys there. So thank you, and thank you for all the amazing messages that I've had from all over the world. It's pretty humbling when something as quirky and as weird as this seems to strike a chord with people. But hey, I've spoken more than I normally would because it's really time to get to church, and I hear that the place looks a little bit different tonight. I'll see you in there. Our church sits in a cold place. At the very edge of a windswept cliff, here, we overlook the notorious community of Creepy Cove, a haunted, mysterious fishing town by the sea. It is a place where every horror movie actually happened. And we have served the spiritual and spooky needs of the Cove for centuries. And now, we invite you, our special friend, to join us. So come on in. Shake off the rain, because the after dark service is about to begin. This is Creepy Cove Community Church. We bid you welcome.
1: This is absolutely magnificent. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Creepy Cove Community Church. And since things look a little different tonight, let's dive in straight away with... What? Oh beautiful harmony. Now, as you can see by the decor and the lighting, tonight's service is a special, very special, marine-themed service. Marine meaning, of course, anything to do with the sea, which we have a great kinship with here in the fishing village of Creepy Cove. So, yes, please don't be alarmed. For those visiting us for the first time, you may have assumed that the puke stench of oily fish had to do with the personal hygiene of those sat next to you, which occasionally, of course, can be precisely the case. (laughs) What's that, eh, Barbara? (laughs) Oh, sorry. Um, But no, on this particular night, the reason you are breathing in the repellent reek of the ocean's dirtiest slime is because it's all part of Creepy Cove's annual Festival of Poseidon where our lovely town celebrates the nautical heritage of our community but this is not to be confused with the Festival of the Poseidon adventure which is also going on on a cruise ship out at sea at the moment that's some sort of geek thing for people who like disaster movies (coughs) Yes, Creepy Cove, as previously stated, is first and foremost a fishing town, which is famous the world over. Not just because every horror movie actually happened here, but we also make a wicked fishy finger. (laughs) And we curate oysters that one can die for, quite literally die for. Now, we have some very special guests for the service tonight. Later, we will have a musical item from Blake and the Elizabeth Dane Men's Choir. They will be singing a traditional sea shanty which explains how they went from leprous pirates to leprous ghost pirates. <laughs> Give us a wave, boys. Where are they? Oh, they're just, they're probably just outside, but you can see where the fog has gathered. They will emerge when the time is right. Captain Blake does like the right timing. Also, in a moment, we'll be talking to an extremely special and rarely seen water-based guest. But first, just take a look around you at the church tonight. Isn't it marvelous? Yes, we sincerely hope that you're enjoying the wonderful lighting and decor that has been so skillfully provided via the collaboration between artists of our church, the local fisherfolk, from down Innsmouth Way, and the festival committee. I adore the way you have such deep green and blue lights pulsating and moving across the walls of the church right now, and real bubble machines too far far superior to the humble balloon i would be convinced i was in the deepest depths of the ocean if it wasn't for the fact that my pantaloons are bone dry so (laughs) bravo team the church looks wonderful but for now there are lots of exhibits to see so do grab a cocktail at the end and wander around at your leisure so yes creepy cove has a deep rich heritage of ocean-based culture, but none so famous, perhaps, as the special guest we have arranged for tonight's special service. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all combos besides, I'm afraid we couldn't possibly have invited tonight's special guest into the building itself, for he is rather large. I don't mean that in an offensive way. I mean, he really is colossal and would actually be too big psychologically too. For if any of us were to see him without distortion or some sort of veil, we would return instantly mad, as so many inmates in the local Arkham Asylum could attest. So can you guess who I'm referring to? That's right, which local monster will elicit instant madness by merely looking? Sonic the Hedgehog! The first version! Oh. You know what, that's a fair point. That does cause instant insanity, but no. On this occasion, I of course refer to, drumroll, the great god of the deep himself, Cthulhu. Yes, sometimes referred as Kulalu or even Koolalu. Or even just Cthulhu, which sounds a little bit iffy to me. But anyway, he's joining us today. No, don't. uh, Calm down. Don't be alarmed. I see some of you grabbing your coats. Please, let me explain how we're going to do this. We obviously couldn't get him to attend in person. But that doesn't mean we cannot talk to him in this world of modern technology. For after a little digging over in Arkham Way, we were able to discover his telephone number and if you don't mind we are going to attempt a little call to that most famous of creepy cove residents and we hope for a little chat now peter laws has kindly provided his mobile telephone for the call and so peter if you could please walk forward and bring me your electronic device there you go yeah there you go thank you i will take it and hold it with great care and precision against the microphone so everybody can listen in. And in a moment, any minute now, let me just check my little pocket watch. Yes, any minute now, we have arranged to receive the call from Cthulhu. As we wait, feel free to admire the art around you and the stewards will be handing out some lovely snacks. You may choose some scrumptious shortbread or a little beaker of plankton. Fish directly from the deepest... Oh, golly. It's going off. It's going Peter, what do I do? I'm I, I'm, answer. The phone. I must admit that I am. Sad. It's him. It's definitely him. Answer I am suddenly gripped with a preternatural sense of yes. foreboding. Come on,
0: don't get him angry. Just answer the but phone. My
1: dread is more than physical or mental. I feel it on an existential don't leave waiting. level. do Oh goodness. Okay, I shall. Wish me luck, luck, everybody. Good luck. Answer. Ah, Hello. This is Rupert Dong, speaking of Creepy Cove Community Church. May I confirm the caller, please? Hello. Hello, Rupert. Are you preceding me? D- Rupert, remember. Ay, that's a nasty <laughs> cold you've got there, friend.
0: Rupert, you have to hit the Translate app, remember? We we're talking about it. You won't understand them otherwise. Hit the Translate app. It's on the front, it's on the home screen.
1: Just. Oh, goodness. T- where Where is the switch?
0: No switch. Just. It's, it's on the no, screen. No, I'll, I'll find it. Perhaps,
1: screen. is there a dial on the back it's, of the device? Uh, dial? I'm, I'm coming
0: up. Like I'll come up and... Just give me the phone. Wait, this one. Translate. Valid. Give me... Gosh, you sound so
1: furious. It's crazy. But I said... Oh press the phone. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, sure. Oh. How you doing? It's me, oh. Mr. McCool. McCool. Oh. Hello. Hey. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm
0: hearing you loud and clear, buddy. I'm rocking on the mic with a hoo-hoo, yeah. I thought you'd never gonna answer. <laughs> anyway, how you doing, man? Now, who, who is this I'm speaking to again? Uh, let me check my schedule real quick. Uh, is uh, Rupert. Rupert? Rupert from the church, is that right? One yes, right on top of the cliff?
1: Yes, that's us. You uh, know of us.
0: I sure do know you. Golly. I heard you singing your oh. crazy songs at night time. Lost a few Saturday points. fun points? I that's for sure. Golly, <laughs> Guys are crazy. <laughs>
1: well, we currently have you on something called a speakerphone. Yeah, I heard a
0: speakerphone. Uh,
1: wonderful. It means the whole church can hear you right now.
0: The K? Wow, well, technology, huh? What I just like to send a message to someone. I can just yell. But well, my preferred method is to send a few thoughts into people's ah. dreams. Uh, it's easy for me. Plus, I always got a signal going, don't yes. I <laughs> I always got the access every night. Uh,
1: well, I'm envious because my Wi goes down all the time. Now, forgive me for saying Wi-Fi. this, but you sound a little different. <laughs> what I expected.
0: Are you sure it's not just a translation app putting in some sort of computer voice, something like that? Because uh, you know what computers are like, friend. They're cold. I, I, they're always like, I am a computer. I will process information. I will have no
1: feelings for you.
0: All that sort do, of stuff, you know. Do you
1: know what, Cthulhu? That prompts me to reflect. Really? Um, I've always been under the impression that you being a terrifying and shocking sea god, being...
0: Ouch, bro. That hurts.
1: I apologize, but what I mean is, you know, you are this big, scary sea god, and yet we get the impression that you are rather like a computer yourself. Huh? I mean, in your approach. What? What you talking about, man? I'm not a computer. I'm a little too damp for that. (laughs) Forgive me. I refer to your previous point about the dispassionate nature of the binary chip. For we thought that was your precise attitude towards humans.
0: What what are you getting at exactly, Rupert?
1: Well, only that we've always believed that you neither hate humanity nor do you love humanity, but more that you are utterly indifferent to our existence. Is that a fact? Well, frankly, yes. In much the same way as a computer is indifferent to its operator and those (laughs) around it. Which in some ways is even more disturbing than if you hated us.
0: Well, how about that, huh?
1: Well, it's what we've been told, yes. That you're a god who sees us perhaps in the same way as I would see a speck of dust on the hem of my cardigan.
0: Uh, uh, hold the phone for a second there, son. Did you just say you were a cardigan? Like an actual cardigan?
1: Occasionally, yes. Tell me more. When relaxing. Perhaps uh-huh. for a luncheon, but uh-huh. obviously never dinner. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not perverse. No, I find them to be most agreeable, Cthulhu.
0: You know, I love cardigans. I sure. sure would love one of those things. You would? Yeah, it gets pretty cold down here in the depths. It's a tricky to get those suckers on. No oh, way, and you got all these crazy tentacles sliding and a stretch. You know what I'm saying? I, I
1: do know what you're saying. I, I am without such appendages, but I can imagine it makes dressing quite the tricky... Experience.
0: Yeah, it's tricky, but tentacles have their benefits, I'm telling you that. Uh, You're probably right. I, I don't have much of an opinion on you humans either way. I mean, I live down here, you live up there. I don't know, one day me and the old ones might just feel cute and we'll come up and rise up and wipe y'all out. Might not, I don't know.
1: Well, I do hope that you might consider the latter.
0: Well, maybe, maybe I just need to get to know you guys better. Do-
1: Indeed. For example, are you aware that the indifference towards humanity is not both ways?
0: I don't follow you. What do you mean?
1: Well, simply that a lot of humans think that you are.
0: Oh, Go on. Horrible, sickening,
1: cruel. No, robust. no. F- fabulous. That's the word I was going <laughs> to use. They think. You're fab.
0: Very funny. I know for certain that they are terrified of me.
1: No, I'm serious. You can you could buy posters of you and sculptures of Cthulhu me. and shot glasses and little bobble hats. You're really quite the, the fashion icon. In our toilets, our toilet roll holders are all in your guise.
0: You're pulling my tentacle. Come on.
1: No. I've seen t-shirts on the worldwide webinar which is saying Cthulhu for president. Why would you joke about this, man? I'm not. I'm Totally serious. I I shall get someone to telegram pictures to you to
0: prove it. Telegram what you talk about Ask him if he's got WhatsApp on his phone.
1: Mr Cthulhu, do you have the Watson app?
0: No, WhatsApp. What's talking about? Of course
1: I do. Then I shall have Peter send you some pictures forthwith via that very medium. Then perhaps you'll see how dearly loved you appear to be. In fact, did you know that our minister Peter Laws bought a little fluffy teddy bear Cthulhu for one of his beloved children? when they were small.
0: You're not trying to trick me here, are you son? No. Because you know I can tear the heart out of your very existence. Oh yes, I'm
1: perfectly aware. But the strange fact persists. You are very, very well liked, sir, and held with great affection as well as fear. Even if you do take little interest in us, Mr. Cthulhu, I can only say that humans take a great deal of interest in you. Hello? Are you there? Have we lost connection? The depth of the ocean perhaps has interfered with the oh, signal. No, I'm still here, man. i will stay
0: here. Listen, I'm just thinking. I've never done this before, but do you trust me?
1: Uh, um, oh. well...
0: You said y'all uh, like me? Sh- sh-
1: sh- okay, yes, no. then we do.
0: Then can no, you see no, the ocean no, from no. your church?
1: From the windows, yes, we can see the ocean.
0: Then Careful. get to those windows. I want to show y'all something I think you're going to love.
1: This isn't it, is it? <laughs> I said The end of all humanity.
0: Oh, well, just go to the windows, okay? Okay. And uh, let me just say, That's what you said tonight has touched me. So before I go, oh, cause I do you. have to go, just watch the horizon just under the moon. Okay. And I might see you guys around sometime, in your dreams most likely. Oh. But I got something to show you right now. Come on, have a look, mm-hmm. friends. Okay. <laughs> Thank
1: you, Mr. Cuckoo. Okay, everybody. Well, as part of the f- pe- festival of Poseidon, you shall now obey Cthulhu's command to walk to the windows. If you would accept this offer, then please rise from your seats and move towards our large glass windows at the and side. Ice. And you will look oh, upon the ocean of Creepy Cove. Your eyes, yes, it's okay if some of you want to stay seated, I suppose. Hold it is on. of course night time but the moonlight is setting pretty glitter across the water. Perhaps a wonderful thing to see before the last explosion of madness in our minds. I, I don't want to die. One wonders if it is wise to do this but I can see it. I'm curious to know what he has in yeah. store. Oh, 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 oh my god. Oh my golly goodness. For those of you at home, let me just explain what we just see. Something of extreme size, Cthulhu, of course, has just leapt up out of the water, so large that it blocked out the moon for a moment, and he has splashed down and sent a wave of what appears to be seawater and slime reaching all across the bay. And then splashing against the rocks and the windows with ocean grew, which is both putrid and yet a somehow touching sight. ha! <laughs> It was too dark to see him fully so our sanity remains intact and yet as we gather back to our seats one wonders if a new connection with a once feared foe may have been found simply because we took the time to talk and share and discuss knitted cardigans Wow okay well I think we can breathe easily how about I draw this part of the service to a close well, that's what's happening, oh lord, ooh. All right then, uh, well, we need to move on now, and I'd like to invite Obed Marsh, who, as many of you will know, is a successful sea captain who just happens to be back on shore for the festival. I hear you're running a know your knots class for the kiddies in town. Oh, that I am, yes, oh. I am. Perhaps I shall attend your class, Obed, because I must admit that when it comes to tying my knots, I'm a little ropey. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. Please, could you now read to us from scripture? right. Thank you. All right, I've uh, brought the ship's Bible, which explains all the seaweed and seashells and plastic hanging off it. This is from the book of Matthew are not two sparrows sold for a penny. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground, apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, for you are worth more than many sparrows. Now the next reading is from the book of Genesis. This verse does follow on from the story of a great flood. Though it wasn't so great, was it? people died. It reads thus, Genesis 8 verse 1, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him on the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. And one more for your pleasure. A famed verse from John three sixteen, which reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And this concludes the reading from the Holy Scriptures. Aye, aye. Oh, thank you very much, Obed. Good to see you again, although I can never figure out where your accent's from. You've travelled so far. From Leeds. We're now going to invite Peter Laws. He will come and speak to us. Peter, if you could perhaps finish your plankton drink before ascending the stage, I would be most appreciative. I'd rather not get some of that smelly-smelly onto the microphone stand. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Well, we're just going to wait for the sermon chimes to start, which they just did. So let's dive straight in. When my daughter was really little, um, she had some really cool toys. Uh, one that I remember particularly was an amazing Playmobil airport, which had a full white and yellow jumbo jet. I just loved that toy. And um, she had taxi, the air traffic control tower, loads of little figures. It was cool. She also had some great um, Hot Wheels cars, which looked like 70s-style cop show cars, which you played with a lot. Um, she had this monkey that you could punch in the stomach and it would bleat out weird dialogue. This was not a real monkey, obviously. (laughs) But yeah, she had lots of cool toys, which, um, which were lots of fun. But there was a while where all of these toys got kind of pushed to the side because she became obsessed with something else. And it was something that she called her treasures. What was this toy, I hear you ask? Well, it was basically a small plastic Tupperware tub dish with a lid something that my mum gave to her. Okay, so it's not exactly a PlayStation 5, but you get the idea. This was simply a receptacle in which she could put things that interested her. And she called those things her treasures. She'd pick up a stone from the floor and then put it into her her treasures. She had a fridge magnet with a sheep that had floppy string legs. That became her treasure. There was a pine cone she found in, in, in in the woods a tiny flag off a tiny boat, it all went into the box. And she would take this box with us wherever we went for a little while. So in a coffee shop, for example, I remember a day um, when she just was going through her treasures and she slipped off the chair and then walked up to like a random family who was next to us and said, look, here are my treasures. <laughs> you know, who knows? These strangers might have thought she was a right little weirdo slinking up to them and saying like, look at my treasures. But uh, And pulling out a rubber band. (laughs) But no, she didn't care because these things really mattered to her. She held that box to her chest and uh, she'd walk around with it like that. And then at times she would sit there and flick through its random, unconnected contents all the time. Why did she do this? Because these things were valuable to her. These were treasures for her. And because of that, her attention and affection were on those things. Here in the uh, town of Creepy Cove, we value and we treasure our nautical heritage, that connection with the sea and with the fishing history and with the mythology and the monsters and the creatures that lurk in the waters around here. Um, These things are valuable to us. We treasure them where our attention is on them, especially this time of year. Well, if God exists, maybe he doesn't, but if he does, what's he like? Does he kind of put up with us and then destroy us when we step out of line? Is he kind of not bothered about us like uh, Cthulhu? A lot of people might think that. But I'd like to just try and suggest to you that there's another option. That if God does exist, then um, perhaps his attention and affection is on human beings uh, more universally than we might think. That actually in the same way as my daughter hold those treasures to her that that's how God may see you. But to be fair, right, you might be sitting there thinking, no way, mate, that's totally not what God's like. like, Because God is clearly a vengeful, angry, smiting type God who shows no mercy, you know, especially for anyone who breaks his rules. In other words, God could come across, and I totally get this, right, because I used to think this, God comes across as a super strict dictator, who works on a system where basically he threatens punishment for when you do the wrong thing, culminating in hell, let's say, and then he will reward um, good acts or being holy, which will culminate in heaven. and to unlock those rewards requires specific types of religious observance. And you may um, have met Christians who follow the uh, or claim to follow this uh, system, closely and they can come across as judgmental moralists um, like the congregation of Westboro baptist church for example you may have heard of them um, but those are the guys who picket gay people's funerals holding up signs that says god hates fags so rather than god being someone who values and treasures us it sounds more like he watches us like a hawk and then wipes us out the second that we step out of line a friend of mine on facebook posted a little religious tract that he found on one side was a happy, smiley face and it said Smile, God loves you exclamation mark. On the flip side, however, was a bunch more writing which starts um, smile, God loves you, but if you reject his love, given at great sacrifice at Calvary, it would be better for you not to have been born. <laughs> and I think, wow, this, that, that's pretty scary. And imagine if your parents said that to you, you know, like, I love you so much, but if you reject my love, it would be better for you to not ever have been born. And so since it's the Festival of Poseidon, I thought we would look at a Bible story which has got something to do um, with water. Um, But that keys in with this idea of, um, is God really horrible or does he value us after all? And the story is um, Noah's Ark. You know know that story where God is angry with the world for its sin and then he floods the world, but he gives one righteous man and his family um, a way out. And uh, it feels like, Crikey, the message of the Bible is basically tow the religious and moral line, or God is going to wipe you out with no mercy, just like that tract I just mentioned, which is pretty scary when you think about it. In fact, the whole story of Noah's Ark is scary when you really think about it. I once preached a sermon on this, and uh, I remember people being shocked when I said, uh, I said from the front, have any of you ever wondered how Noah and his family slept at night with all of those bumps against the wood of the ark? And people were like, what bumps? What are you talking about? I said, you know, like all the corpses of the world, like the millions of bodies that would have been floating on the surface of the water going, you know, against the, the hull of the ark. I said, yeah, we don't tend to mention that stuff in Sunday school, do we? Noah's Ark is often a kind of kid's story, but we don't tend to say, oh, I'm sorry, Billy, this drawing of Noah's Ark simply won't do. You forgot to draw enough cadavers. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a tale of um, people dying across the world. On one hand, Noah's Ark in the book of Genesis can make people dismiss Christianity because they simply feel, well, that's just way too harsh and cold. And it's a scary interpretation of what love looks like. And therefore, that's not for me. I can understand that. Some people, on the other hand, can dismiss uh, Noah's Ark and then perhaps Christianity in turn because they'll say, but clearly Noah's Ark's just a myth. Why do you guys believe that? And there's lots of Christians who really strongly believe about Noah's Ark happening in history. Um, there's organizations like Answers in Genesis, for example, who go to great lengths to try and prove that the Genesis account, that in their, in their belief, is actually a historical event. And they come up with lots of archaeologists, uh, oh, sorry, archaeological claims that they believe that proves once and for all that Noah's Ark was true. To which um, many critics, of course, would turn back and say, aren't you aware that there are stories of great floods that are found throughout the mythology of hundreds of other ancient cultures? And they'd be right to say that because it's true that the Epic of Gilgamesh, for example, really sounds like the same story of Noah, yeah, predates Noah. Um, in other words, in the ancient world, it wasn't unusual for cultures to express their beliefs through a flood story. This could be because there was some sort of a big cataclysmic flood at some point, though probably not a worldwide flood. We don't know for certain. Um, but listen, some would call me a heretic for saying this, so feel free to burn me at the stake at the end, but... I don't think Christianity falls apart if it turns out that the account of Noah's Ark in Genesis may well be simply another flood story rather than a scientific historical account. It might simply be the ancient Israelites sharing their own flood story along with all of these other civilizations sharing theirs, an allegory to illustrate what God might be like. And I think if we see the story of Noah's Ark from that perspective, we see less of a vengeful warhorse God who says, smile, God lives you, but if you don't smile, I'll drown you, to more of a loving Jesus-like God who really does value us. You see, I think it's quite interesting to compare some of the ancient flood stories. So in um, the flood story Atrahasis, for example, from Samaria, um, the flood happens because the gods get into an argument about humans and then Enlil, the king of the gods, decides to wipe out humans because they're too noisy and numerous. Then one of the gods, Enki, tips off a man who builds a boat to survive it with his animals and family and then later on Enlil uh, regrets the flood in the Epic of Gilgamesh, uh, the gods wipe out the earth because of overpopulation, but then one of the gods warns a man to build an ark to escape, all these sorts of things. And In the biblical version of this story, there's only one God. And um, in that story, he floods the world uh, because simply he's heartbroken at how people are treating each other. Genesis 6 says that the earth had become corrupt and filled with violence. And then um, in verse 6, it says that God's heart is, quote, deeply troubled by this. The story even goes on to say at one point he regrets making humans. And so the biblical story basically is saying that God is not happy when the world turns into a place of violence. And so in the tale, he wipes it out. Now, if you're a Christian who takes this totally seriously and literally, then you will need to explain why does God use violence to punish violence? If he doesn't like violence, why does God regret making people so quickly after making them? Why did God not foresee this would happen and therefore not make people in the first place? You know, there's a few questions for you to explore and answer. Very interesting to try and do so. Yet, if you're willing to see it simply as the Bible's versions of a version of a popular flood myth at the time, You basically get a picture through a story of a God who gets sad when humans are violent to one another and yet who also wants to somehow preserve his relationship with humans. What's interesting is Genesis was written in Hebrew and, um, the word for ark in Hebrew is Tevar and, uh, The only other place we find that word in the Bible is with Moses when he's a baby. At the time, the Egyptians were worried that the Jewish population was becoming too large. And so they started drowning newborn Israelite babies in the Nile. And so Moses' mum is so scared of this that she puts uh, Moses in what English translations call a basket or a Moses basket. Maybe you've seen those in shops for babies. But the, the word in the Hebrew is tevar, the same word for ark a vessel to protect Moses from death. So can you see how this? There's like, there's, there's, these are both water stories about God saving people from violence. Look, who knows? Maybe the great flood did happen literally, I don't know. But in, if it did, you're going to have to answer a lot of questions. Or maybe it is just a version of an ancient story that basically says this, God is in the salvaging business because he wants to save people from the wreckage of a violent and hate-filled world that message is actually I think relevant whether you believe in God or not let me talk to you a little bit about salvaging I've got a friend called Andrew and he loves diving he got his advanced diver certificate and um so he goes on to some pretty deep dives I I don't I haven't gone diving really because the water pressure would probably make me throw up I've got that kind of inner ear thing and the thought of vomiting with a pipe in my mouth doesn't really do it for me, but he loves it. And he always likes to go diving into reefs and sometimes to down to sea shipwrecks. And he told me once about a ferry that, uh, that sank and, um, divers are allowed to go down and swim through it. He said, nobody died down there or anything, but it's still very eerie swimming through the restaurant and the carport and the bedrooms with pillows and knives and forks and bottles floating around and the moss and the fishes. You know, can you imagine It That sounds amazing. And he said that even though you're not supposed to, many of the divers would take something from on board as a keepsake. You know, they wanted to salvage something because salvage is, is, what is a salvage? It's when you take something valuable from wreckage. And God is committed, I think, to a salvaging operation in this story of Genesis. When the spectacle of flood happens, it's easy to just be obsessed with that and see that as the end of the story. But actually in Genesis 8, God starts with humanity again. God sets this rainbow in the sky and says, I'll never do this again. There will never be another flood. Now, again, if you take this story literally, you're going to have to ask, well, hang on. God, make your mind up, you know, you killed the world and now you're like, oops, probably shouldn't have done that. And that does need explaining. And maybe there is an explanation for that. I don't know. But if it's more like an ancient story, then it actually hones in on what we see in some of the other stories, which is this idea of human beings being valuable to God, of starting again, of giving us a fresh start. Um, Not just as laborers and slaves though, but as friends. It, it, It appears like um, surprisingly to some people that God seems emotionally invested in our well-being and our survival. You couple that with the image of Jesus forgiving people who are nailing him to a cross. I just think you don't really see as much of the smiter that you see in some really judgmental expressions of Christianity. You actually see a God who values people and salvages people when things go wrong. And this is important, you know, because I do, I do think you only salvage that which is valuable. So for example, I've, I've drank a lot of plankton juice tonight. I've got to be honest with you. And um, so if I um, go to the toilet later, which I probably will, and um, and while I'm at the toilet, I accidentally drop a tic-tac into the church toilet. You know what? I've got to be honest with you. I'm not going to bother fishing that out. Would you? You know, It's not that important to me. But if I dropped my wallet in there, I'd be straight in there. You know, I'd be fishing in there to peg it out on a washing line because that is worth salvaging. You know, it's valuable to me. It's got important things in there. My question is this to you whether you believe in God or not, you know, feel free to put all that stuff to the side. My question is simply this Do you feel very valuable? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I mean, what is the value of a human being anyway? Is it one pound? Is it one million? Is it priceless? Well, one of the reasons why I'm attracted to kind of Jesus-focused Christianity is that it seems to say that um, people are all valuable, no matter who they are, no matter what they have, and no matter what they've done. And even that uh, humans are worth dying for. Jesus expresses great love for people on the cross rather than destruction, even while they are hammering to him to that cross. That makes us incredibly valuable. And if you don't feel valuable tonight, then please listen to what I'm about to say, whether you believe in faith or not. just Can you just listen to what I'm about to say to you? It's a philosophical concept, which is quite important. All value is attributed. Have you noticed that in life? But we we don't tend to go on a system where things have intrinsic value we go in a system where we attribute value to things. So for example, let me just get in my pocket a second. Okay, right, here's um, here's a, a 10 pounds note. Ooh, look how rich I am. What makes this 10 pounds note valuable? Because technically this is just a piece of paper. This is valuable because we have decided as a you know, group of people, as a society, that this piece of paper is valued at 10 pounds. The value is attributed. Think of an old teddy bear that you have at home with its bust-up eye and stuffing sprouting out, worth very little to others, perhaps junk. But it's priceless to you because it was given to you by your grandma, who long since passed away in a horrific trapeze accident, perhaps. You see... What I'm trying to say is value is never really, in a sense, intrinsic in the object. Like the diamond, for example, um, is only valuable because we've all agreed that diamonds are valuable. Um, We've given it value. Some of you listening to me now, you are living your lives feeling like you have no intrinsic value. Well, if you think that way, And I can understand why you might be maybe you've had people telling you the 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 opposite that you're worthless all your life and it is it takes a lifetime sometimes to shake that sort of false information about who you are but what I'm saying is if you think that you are if you are hanging something as precious as your identity your self-worth um on this I think you're barking up the wrong tree and so the question in some ways isn't are you valuable or not deep down the question is more like who says you're valuable who attributes value to you. In the story of Noah and countless other moments in the Bible, and particularly with Jesus, we see a God who values us immensely. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, "Um, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Or Galatians. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. And since you are His children, He has made you also heirs. You spot that bit? You're children. This is the idea. This the the, the Bible trying to say that actually we are so valued. We're seen as children. Like in, in that's why we talk about God as like a father. Although sometimes God is referred to as a mother, even in the Bible, like a parent, a good parent who loves us. Now, of course, if you don't believe in God, that's fine. Um, That's up to you. But I do hope you can grasp the central principle of this, (laughs) which I think it's a healthy way of looking in the world. And I do think that most of us know this deep down. It's kind of almost self-evident in us, um, whether we believe in God or not. So to me, it makes total sense why so many people assume that the message of Christianity is that believing types are really valuable, and everyone else is not valuable and expendable. However, as I see it, I think God attributes value to everyone, including you. And that makes everybody automatically valuable. And if you're getting the impression that Christianity is just about moral performance or God saving us from our sins or thinking or believing the right things, I just think maybe you're missing something quite profound. There's a Christian writer called Neil Anderson, and I've got to be honest with you, I don't agree with everything he says, but um, he does tell a few stories that are quite profound. And he tells this story, which is about, imagine a person was involved in prostitution. Don't imagine too much. It'll distract you. But imagine if someone was involved in prostitution and, um, and they felt bad about their profession for whatever reason, they decided this was not what they wanted. They, it, it didn't make them feel empowered or anything, but actually was um, something that made them feel exploited and, and hurt and, and whatnot. So they don't like it. And one day they heard that the king of that kingdom had decreed that all prostitutes were going to be forgiven. And that might make this person feel very good, you know, might celebrate the fact that they have this sense of forgiveness. However, ultimately, they would still see themselves as little more than a forgiven prostitute. And they may even deep down feel that they are still ultimately kind of like a bad person or, you know, that this, this person has still got this like issue down. Because just being forgiven is not, just, is not quite enough for them to feel the revolution deep down. And they might even continue in the same behavior because they think, well, I've been forgiven once, but, you know, ultimately this is who I am. It's all I'll ever be. It's all I'll ever amount to be. But now suppose that on the day after this forgiveness kind of declaration is made, there is a knock at the door and this person goes to the door. And when they open the door, they see the king and the king is on bended knee. And he is offering a ring and he says, I would like you to become the queen with me. Would that change that person's self-image, that person's sense of value? I think it could well do. She hasn't just been forgiven, but she's been made royalty, made part of the family. This story, I think, is quite interesting because it's it's basically saying, you know, just being forgiven by God is, is kind of half the story. I mean, we all do things that we've messed up and we need forgiveness for, um, but that, that isn't the totality of Christianity. And whether you see Christianity as a kind of real thing with a real God behind it, or as a kind of a myth that we can learn from, I think the surprise of Jesus is that he embraces us, loves us, cares about us, has affection for us, this is often like a message that does not seem to gel with some people's experience of Christianity. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that you might get that impression with Creepy Cove. (laughs) You know, my uh, scuba diving friend I mentioned before, well, he told me that even though no one has died uh, when the ship actually sunk, you know, everyone survived that. He says a few people have died since then diving down there. He says people go so far that they get trapped and couldn't can't get out. They tried to salvage something they valued, but they didn't get out in time. What's at the heart of the Christian story, which I find interesting is, um, while well, I can understand why you would think it was a vengeful God stamping out evil and protecting his version of the best types of people. <laughs> well, um, I think at the heart of Christianity, you see this God attributing value to the world and then being crucified and dying for it. There's something powerful about that about this guy who comes and um, goes to the freaks and the losers and the heretics and the sinners, if you want to use that term, that religious term, the rejects basically, rejects especially by the religious institutions. And yet Jesus seemed to gravitate towards those people, not because of hate, but I think because of love. And that kind of reminds me of my daughter holding on tight to her box of treasures of things that the world may have neglected and forgotten about. And yet she said, No, I think that's worth holding on to. Whether you believe in this stuff or not, no matter who you are, and no matter what you've done in life, that you do matter, and that there is someone in the world who attributes the ultimate value to you. That makes you treasured. Well, we now come to a time of prayer and meditation, and tonight's. Uh, Prayerful meditation is loosely based on the wonderful story by H.P. Lovecraft called The Temple. So, are you ready? Excellent. Okay. I want you to picture yourself at the bottom of the ocean. You're wearing some sort of deep sea diving suit. But the helmet is all clear glass, which means you can look around and see things with incredible clarity. You have strong electric brass lamps on your shoulders. They are lighting this place up. Look around. You are currently stepping out of your submersible ship, your submarine on which you have been the only passenger for a while now, the only living one, that is. And this is the first time you have left the sub to step outside. So along you walk, through the swaying reeds at the bottom of the sea. You see the sand stretching out for quite a while in the glow. You can feel the cold through your suit. Schools of fish pass you by. They're not afraid of you at all. It's like you're part of this place. You drag your heavy metal boots and kick up whirlwinds of sand as you make your way across the ocean floor. And you're surprised by something. You look down and see the corner of something hard and man-made sticking from the sand. It's... It's some sort of... brick. You follow the trail and catch the flash of some exotic deep-water fish in the distance sparking with light. Then you find another brick and another, until you kick some of the sand and seaweed away and you discover that actually... (laughs) you're walking on a path. A brick road at the bottom of the ocean and you follow this road, though it's sometimes not easy to see and that you feel a little strange on this unfamiliar path, but you know that clearly other people have walked this way before. And as you keep dragging your heavy boots along this path, you see it in the distance What looks like just a shadow is actually becoming the outline of something, clearly not a rock. The lines are too clear and linear. You are looking at a building, and as you get closer, it's an old temple. A temple of some sort of worship here at the bottom of the ocean. And you know that it might be wise to turn back at this point, you don't wanna get too far from your ship, and yet something makes you frown. squint looking across the water and realize that you're gonna have to turn the brightness of your lamps down so you can see this place properly and it is scary to turn them down because the control is temperamental and there's a chance that they might flick completely off but you think if only i gently turn the dial down and down a little more and the ocean gets darker and darker until i just get the right amount of light to the lamps have gone off And you're now at the bottom of the ocean, looking around in pure blackness as the eyes slowly adjust. You can see much further than you ever could before. Things are taking shape. Distant underwater hills and strange structures that look like towers and stone pillars and monuments. But what you really are drawn to is this temple. Because now that the light is off, you can confirm what you suspected you saw earlier one of the windows of the temple. Something is glowing. A light. How the heck is that possible? Who could be down here? And is this safe? You need to choose. Do you turn back to your submarine knowing that you're gonna run out of electricity on that thing in a few hours? Or do you keep walking forwards to this mysterious church? the bottom of the sea. Let's pray. God, you may be there, you might be not. We're not fully sure. Some of us believe it, some of us don't. But if you are, if you're really shining a light in the darkness, can you help us out? Because our lives are frightening and populated with shadows and threats and cold. Life can be so cold, God. But thank you. That there's this promise of warmth and peace and light and connection because you so we're told value us and so as we walk along this path at the bottom of the ocean we thank you for giving us this space this kooky little church and we pray that you bless us in the days ahead please uh, keep the light on amen well i think it's time we Whoa, did you hear that bang? Oh, there's someone at the door. Anyone care to guess who that is? Well, of course, it's Captain Blake and the Elizabeth Dane Men's Choir who are going to lead us in song. This song sings a local tale of how leprosy forced Blake and his crew to roam the waters looking for land, and just when they thought they had found some, they were tricked by some greedy townsfolk over in Antonio Bay. A sad tale, but one with an important message, I think. If you find yourself lonely, wandering, and even betrayed... Keep on going, and maybe hope and a home one day. Blake, it's over to you. <laughs> that is harsh and cold and you're used to the sea and rain. Then we call on you to join our crew as we set our sails again. We're westward bound on a search for shore that would let our kind be free. But it's hard to find a welcome face when you're racked with leprosy. Sail ye on, my boys, we'll find a home, we will one day leave this sea. As the heavens glow, let the north wind know, we will found a colony. Tis bleak upon this April night, but a light doth shine ahead. We have spied a glow on the distant shore. Tis a sight to raise the dead. Our Navi lads have read the maps. We have found Antonio Bay. Praise the God of sky and the Lord of deep. We will walk on land this day. Sail he on, my boys. We've found a home. For tonight we leave this sea. As the heavens glow, let the north wind know we will found this colony. Must the devil ride upon our backs, Tis a dark and evil breed. For the fiery glow was a serpent's throw From a town that's built on greed. Our clipper ship hath hit the rocks, And the hull is sheared in two. And as the day goes down, And they steal the crown Of our lonely sinking crew. Sink ye down, my boys, We found a home at the bottom, of the sea. But as the fog rolls in, we will punish him. There'll be life for you and me. Sink ye down, my boys, the freezing home. I will try to comfort thee Till the fog rolls in and we punish him. There'll be life for you and me. Tis April now, and a hundred years have turned our hearts to stone. Let me take your hand as we rise to land, feel the flesh upon your bones. Only six will die, tis a happy sum, and the cross I'll take for thee. For the ocean waves will not be our graves, tis a prayerful, loud decree. So sail ye on, my boys, we'll find a home, for a night we leave this sea. As the heavens glow, may the north winds know we will crush conspiracy. Let the God who made the ocean deep set a course of a jubilee. Try not to cry, for we'll find the dry. There's a home for you and wonderful thank you so much Blake and the Elizabeth Dane men's choir we're looking forward to hearing that on the album (laughs) fantastic stuff thank you for coming everyone and once again do stick around for cocktails but until next time take care well hey Rupert that seems to have gone well I think you know everyone seems to love the exhibits and the conversation with Cthulhu was was amazing really and I think you might have made a good connection with him do you think what's wrong you heard how nice he sounded. <laughs> nice. Not really. Um, yeah, but you saw what he did. He did that huge kind of somersault leap thing in the uh, air, splashed down in the water. Gosh. I thought that was a sign of him reaching out,
1: being kind. Sadly, I thought so too until I just Uh-oh. received this memo from the Coast Uh-oh. Guard. What happened? The massive splash was actually him yeah. attacking a cruise ship, Oh, really? Oh, no. The one that's the FAPA convention. The what? The... Fans of the Poseidon adventure, that
0: one. Are you sure it was an attack, though? Maybe he was, like, putting on a show for them or
1: something? No. They're into seeing big waves and stuff. Oh, no, Peter, I'm told he picked that crew up in his tentacle and shook crush. all those fapper folks out like you and I would idly empty a bag of prawn cocktail crisps into our throats. Oh, quite like prawn cocktail. Um, but, yeah, that's that's pretty disappointing, isn't it? That's another understatement. And uh, they say he swallowed those people while dispassionately staring across the water.
0: Staring where?
1: Why, here, of course, at Creepy
0: Cove, the church. Well, connecting with others takes time. It's early days, Rupert. There's always hope. You think?
1: Yeah, there's always hope. You mean, even as those Owen Allen geeks are slowly dying in his slimy gullet?
0: Rupert, we can't speculate. We just don't know. How about... Forget it. Right? Let's just go and grab a drink. But uh, Blake and his crew have brought some ooh, Spivey Point oh, rum. Really? Really want to try some oh, of that, gosh, and, and I want to get to it, particularly for Obed Marsh drinks at <laughs> all, same yeah? Tangent, right. so it's okay. Just try not to worry about it. We'll
1: work out okay. when it happens, okay, right? Helpful. Each day it comes, okay. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, my hearty. <laughs> Does that sound good? It <laughs> yeah, it's very, like, uh, very on point, yes. Come on, my hearty. Ork. Ork. Oh, ork. Where is league. me? What's a <laughs> I can't believe you call it that. (laughs) Come on, let's let's suck.
0: Well, once again, thank you for coming to Creepy Cove, especially if you've been joining us these last 10 weeks. That's amazing. Remember, this is the last episode of the first season, but uh, we look forward to seeing you with the Christmas carol service, which is going to be soon in December. And then we start all again in January. But in the meantime, please visit creepycove.com to find out how you can get in the Creepy Cove album of horror hymns, join the Patreon, get loads of extras. But until then, no matter what you believe, I hope you'll keep on finding a little bit of hope in the horror. See ya.